Okay, so welcome to today's interview with Ida. This is going to be a great conversation. We, uh, we've spoken multiple times and uh, found ourselves um, kind of putting the world to rights and delving down these really interesting experiences that Ida's had a few times and, and eventually it reached the point where we were like, do you know what, we should, we should really just record one of these conversations and put it into a podcast. So thank you for joining me. I'm looking forward to what we're going to do here. Yes, me as well. Thank you. So to begin with, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and mm -hmm. explain about your, uh, you know, your background within the organization, because you're, you're no longer in now, but obviously once upon a time you were very much in. <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah, so I was, I was born in, um, I guess, it, you know, when you're in the organization, you call it raised in the truth. Um, mm -hmm. Both my parents were witnesses when I was born. Um, they ended up splitting up before I turned one. Um, I don't remember the circumstances exactly, obviously, but I just know that he had, um, he just said he didn't really want to do it anymore. He didn't want to be a, a father. He didn't want to be a husband. He didn't want to be a Jehovah's witness. Um, so <clears throat> that, uh, that left my mom and I to ourselves. And um, we were we were trucking along together, and she remarried when I was about five. Um, my stepdad was not baptized at the time. I remember they they got married at my grandmother's house um, because you're not allowed to get married at the Kingdom Hall if uh, you're not both baptized. Um, but later on, <clears throat> he was baptized. I think when I was around um, eleven or twelve. But I was baptized at fifteen. I actually didn't really do too much um progressively when i was a kid uh, i mean i had my parts on the the theocratic ministry school so i would give my talks and everybody loved them because i would put you know so much time and effort into them but i was never an unbaptized <clears throat> publisher until i was actually about 15. Um, all of the kids my age at the kingdom hall were um, either getting baptized or they had long been baptized <laughs> since they were like 10. And I was definitely kind of the, uh, the odd one out. Um, I remember one time <clears throat> I wanted to hang out with a, uh, with a friend and she kind of leveled with me and she said that her parents had like specifically told her not to hang out with me because I wasn't baptized yet. And that was just, whew, yeah, that, that social pressure. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and it, it, it that, oof, that one got me, but um, I started feeling kind of everyone else pulling away um, right around that <clears throat> when I was 15. And um, I like very quickly, you know, cause I'm, I, I very much need friends. <laughs> I, I cannot say um, even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working on it. Um, I've, I've got one now, but like growing up, I never had a best friend. Um, I would have called someone my best friend but nobody would have called me their best friend I was kind of like the the floater like whoever would hang out with me I would just be happy for them to spend time with me so um once I started feeling everybody pulling away like the little that they gave me um I just I, I couldn't do it so I um I very quickly applied to be an unbaptized publisher and um I was baptized less than a year later so it was like boom boom I was like hey guys I'm you know I'm doing it um I remember this one time because <clears throat> I was baptized in December of 2010 <clears throat> and I was doing my studies, you know, quote studies to be baptized. We had the, um, what does the Bible really teach book? And my mom was the one that kind of 
took that over but I remember it was in the summer and we were out on the back porch one time and we we tried to do a chapter and it was it was almost funny to us because like I knew all of this stuff already like I, I had grown up doing it and I, I felt like it was silly for us to go over this because I, I, I knew all the answers so gosh I think we maybe studied two maybe three chapters total um I mean, even the answers to get baptized. I mean, I, I knew all the answers and stuff. So um, it was definitely something I, I never really took seriously just because I felt like it was funny. I was like, oh, I got this. Like, it's, it's easy. Um, but uh, the day, or excuse me, the night before I got baptized, it was at a, um, a two-day convention, I believe. <clears throat> and um, I knew, it's so funny because they really don't tell you what you have to do. Like, it's like, you know, you have to be baptized and like, like, you have to have a conversation with Jehovah and and I had no idea what to do. So I remember (laughs) I was like up until two o'clock in the morning, stressing out because like, I knew I needed to get baptized, but I just, I didn't want to, and I didn't know why, but I had this like really awkward (laughs) whispered conversation in my bed, um, trying to, to talk to God. And, and I remember saying something like, you know, I'm yours now, so <laughs> do, do what you want with me, but here, mm. you know, here I go. Um, it's just, it, it's what I thought I needed to say. And gosh, less than uh, less than 12 hours later, they dumped me mm. and I was uh, blow drying my hair in the lockers and there was no going back. Contrast that was fun. <laughs> it's, it's surreal looking back at it. It's, yeah. it's pretty funny, but um. But yeah, it, you know, looking back, it, it happened so fast. Like I said, it was all in less than a year, it feels like, um, because I, had, I was already doing so much. I had been, um, you know, trying to get like auxiliary pioneer hours and I'd been giving talks and, and, you know, st- going on studies and like preaching so much and, and, you know, we'll, we'll come to talk about that. It was kind of fake preaching, but, mm. um, you know, I was already doing so much and everybody saw me doing so much in the kingdom hall that like to them, it was like, oh, it was almost like I was already baptized. So they didn't really put any effort into kind of explaining the, the severity of it. It was, it's almost like a rite of passage. It, you know, it's like getting your first car. It's like, it, it's going to happen. And it's just, yeah, they, they didn't really put too much, too much thought into it. I, I don't feel at least. Yeah, definitely. There's a, it's it's the herd mindset right so when when everyone is moving in a certain direction nobody really knows where the entire group is going um yeah but like we're all just kind of following the person next to us because we we believe just as as creatures right humans naturally believe in this group think and uh, and then before we know it we've made commitments and agreements that you know they uh weren't right for us yeah and that have uh, quite severe consequences how did you find um how did you find that affected the um the social aspect of things did did people suddenly go from being very cold to being very open arms and warm and welcoming was it that extreme or did they still oh absolutely well? really absolutely oh night and day 
Um, wow. I mean, again, <clears throat> I didn't really have much to begin with. Um, the, the, the congregation that I grew up in was very clicky. Um, I was always the, the odd one out. Like I said, it just, you know, for some reason, the, the girls my age didn't like me and, um, I was definitely more one of the boys, but that's not appropriate for one sister to be with a group of brothers. So I wasn't allowed to hang out with the, the people that wanted to hang out with me. So it was, it was a very awkward situation where I had to, um, I guess, navigate it kind of, uh, uh, delicately. I remember this one time I went over to, um, to one of my, my friend's house, my, my longest friend that I, I could say, um, unfortunately not anymore, um, but we went to pre-K together. So like the, the longest, you know, the longest lasting friendship that I had had. Um, but I, I went over to his house, you know, it was like pizza and, and movies and stuff. And there were at least 15 other people there, you know, young to, to a little bit older teenagers. And he had an older sister. And I remember, um, about three quarters of the way through, um, people were starting to kind of filter out and stuff. And his sister came up to me and she said, I hope you know that the only reason you're here is because my brother wanted you here. Nice. And it just, it, it crushed me. It, it absolutely crushed me. And it, it's funny because deep down, I knew it at the time. I knew that she didn't like me. I knew that her friends didn't like me. I knew her brother did. And I, I enjoyed hanging out with, you know, him and our friends, but to hear it, said to me was just absolutely crushing yeah that, that's coming from a kind of twisted place for someone to say that as well that there's no possible <laughs> good intention yeah. for that so no no there was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely not it was a very spiteful comment to make um but yeah that I mean if 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 anything kind of sums up if I was ever in a group setting, I mean, they, they would go out all the time to go like bowling and laser tag and all this stuff. And um, maybe once in every 10 to 15 times I would get invited and I would be, you know, so grateful and so excited, but just the, the dynamic wasn't there because I didn't spend time with these people. So I didn't, mm. I didn't know their inside jokes. And it, it was almost like I was the pity invite um, wherever I went. So that, uh, that group going, growing up, even though it did, you know, definitely, um, you know, spark up after being baptized and, and people were more comfortable spending time with me. Um, it still wasn't healthy at all. Mm. Yeah. And, and so that, um, you know, that presumably progressed into where you, uh, you know, so you got baptized and then you mm -hmm. started pioneering as I understand it. Yes. So that was, um, I mean, it, it's a status symbol. We, we all know that. I mean, um, of course there are, there are people that genuinely want to, um, preach, which I don't know how familiar, um, some of your <clears throat> listeners are with, um, pioneering or whatever, but it's, you know, it's when you're, um, you kind of agree to do a certain amount of hours per month. Mm. Um, at the time, I think it was, it was lowered to the 50 and 70 that I think it is today. I don't know if they've lowered it due to COVID, but um, you know, regular pioneering was 70 hours and then auxiliary pioneering was 50. Um, but it was one of those things where like, you know, my, my friend that I had known since pre-K, he was a regular pioneer. Um, and, you know, obviously he was my age. There were maybe one or two others that were our age. And then the rest were, you know, um, 
older brothers and sisters. But I mean, if you were a pioneer, you got a key to the kingdom hall. Mm-hmm. And that was like super cool. It's like, oh, don't worry, I can open the door. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, you you have that status. It's like, okay, this this person has God's approval, you know, this, uh, this person's okay. This person's uh, an example. Um, you know, I thought, gosh, that was always put on me that like, you're an example, you're an example. Um, <clears throat> I remember I, I wore, we had, oh gosh, we had the international convention, um, not the latest one, but the one before, I think it was probably around 2014, I think it was. Um, but our congregation was welcoming a, a bus of international delegates. So it's, you know, witnesses from all over the world that were coming to our congregation to go out in field service that morning. We were so excited and we held up our signs that said like, welcome and everything. And um, it was, gosh, it was May, I think it was maybe May or June, but it was so hot that morning. We're all just like dying out there. Um, and I had on a, a maxi skirt. So it went to the ground, some sandals and then a tank top. Um, and it, you know, it covered everything. It was just a tank top. So my shoulders were showing and um, we greeted all the delegates and we exchanged gifts and it was so nice and we were talking and stuff. And then the meeting for field service happened and, you know, we were, we were put in groups and stuff. And um, I was really upset because I wasn't put with any international delegates. Um, they were saying they, they put me with another group that was doing something else. And I really wanted to work with, you know, one of the delegates. And um, after the meeting for field service, I got pulled to the back uh, the back room. Um, and it was, gosh, it was 2014. So I was, how old was I? 18, 19. <clears throat> yeah. Probably I think 18. Um, I got pulled to the back and they told me to go home because what I was wearing was inappropriate. And they said I was welcome to change and meet with the mountain service, but that they didn't feel after I had shown myself wearing an appropriate attire, that it was um, appropriate for me to meet with a group that had delegates out in the field service. So I, I, I wasn't put with a delegate. I was welcome to go home and change my, my slutty attire and um, come back out, but I still couldn't work with a delegate. And it was just, you know, you're like, you're an example, you're a pioneer, we have to set the example. And they showed a picture the one where it's talking about what should you wear to Bethel and it shows the sister wearing like spaghetti strap tank top and you know my straps were like three inches four inches wide and it's like what like I'm not even wearing the same thing and um you know it's always like you're an example so yeah (laughs) oh I remember that very clearly the 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 arbitrariness of it is uh, yes so frustrating I mean, okay. I had a similar reaction when I showed up in a maxi skirt, but but maybe for different reasons. But, <laughs> but it's, it's they were just mad because you looked so good in it. Yeah, I know they were jealous. I, I made this yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. look bad. But the, <laughs> Absolutely. But the uh, do do you find that that's kind of echoed forward in terms of um, like your view of authority figures, or have you managed to? I mean, I know I I've struggled for a long time in mm-hmm. terms of either being too subordinate and too um like oh yeah I'll do what I'll jump through any hoop you want me to jump through or I'll mm-hmm. go too far the other way and be like you know screw you buddy I'm not going to do anything you say do, do you uh... find that that, that, <laughs> that that affected you that way or 
Well, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and it was not only authority figures, but just um, in even in like on and off relationships. I mean, you yeah. you're so used to being, especially as a, a woman in the organization, or you know, a girl like I was. Um, you you're just you're 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 the weaker vessel. I mean, that that's the exact term that they use, and you know, they they spend so much time after saying the, the, the term weaker vessel, trying to backpedal and say how that's like a good thing. And, you know, oh, it means that, you know, you're, you're a compliment and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they'll say that and then they'll spend all this time trying to, trying to convince you that that's a good thing, but it doesn't cover the fact that they just called you a weaker vessel. And that's what sticks. And feeling like such a lesser being for so long, absolutely bled into any other um you know authority positions <clears throat> that I would come into contact with or like I said like relationships I mean I was just so um I just I just felt so little compared to everyone else I mean e even women that were older than me I just felt so little um and then you know being I, I have a very similar personality where um I can be like no screw you like this is what I want blah 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 but especially when I was that age and younger, it's like, I didn't even have a choice. I might think that in my head, but um, it's like, you know, I, I would do and say anything anybody told me to do because I just felt like I didn't, I didn't deserve to have that choice. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's a big shift to be able to make, to get out of that mindset. Oh yes. It's, I mean, it's years and years and years of of just like I said, being told that you're the weaker vessel, you you come second, you need to be submissive. Oh my gosh, I hate the word submissive. I, re mm. I really do. Um, there are definitely some words and terms that, uh, for lack of a better word, trigger me uh, now. I hate the word glean. Uh, <laughs> I hate it so much because they would, they would read a scripture and uh, what can we glean from this? It's like, ugh, what a gross word. And yeah. Um, submissive oh, I hate it I hate it <laughs> those weird phrases as well was this a UK thing like where in the prayers it's like people use language that you'd never use anywhere else in life like uh, you know please help us to sound this down into our hearts it's like yes you've not I've not mm -hmm. sounded anything into anywhere before what does that even mean <laughs> and and it's just I mean, bless, well, it's that best. it's that herd that herd mentality like you were yeah. saying it's like nobody really knows where we're going or like what this term means but we're all like yeah that sounds right <laughs> yeah it's a zealously do it and all of that oh gosh but, i'd know um, zealous is another one <laughs> they stole like perfectly good words and phrases oh, and uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I find myself in language um like, like a lot of the metaphors and expressions and things from the bible things that jesus said and, and it's mm -hmm. like JWs don't own the Bible and right. and so some of the phrases or metaphors or things like you know take the rafter out your own eye and stuff like that they're perfectly yeah. sound ideas but then I find myself hesitating to mention it because it's like oh God, I just know that at least in this context <laughs> on this podcast everyone has already heard those ideas in such yeah. a naff rubbish context um, yep but. Well, it, it has to do with, uh, you know, like redefining words and, mm. and terms. So that way it's, you know, you, you separate yourselves from the outside world or, you know, from the world, um, mm. you know, worldly, I hate that word, even truth. Um, just because yeah. I mean, truth, truth doesn't mean truth when you're in the organization, no. you know, 
<laughs> truth is uh, it, it's a noun that just applies to like everything and um when when you redefine it it's like you you have to re redefine it once you get out and it's it's tough it's tough yeah and, and so what led to you making that break of going out so was that experience with the international convention and the um you know <clears throat> the jezebel like attire and all of that stuff was that Ooh, kind of yes. the beginning <laughs> of the end for you was that about the final straw or what was what led to the transition you know what's funny is is all of these scenarios and, and experiences that I had like you know um, being told to go home and change and of course I didn't go back out I just went home and stayed home <clears throat> um, you know being being called Jezebel I remember I wore matching earrings and a necklace out in service one time and um, the sister said well don't you just look like a little Jezebel and I was like 15 <laughs> um, and I was like, didn't she get pushed from a window? <laughs> yeah, eat some uh, Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that story is a good one. Um, you know, just being, being called bad association. Um, that friend that I grew up with, um, his, uh, his parents actually had a very, very strong stance about the time that he spent with me. Um, he, they, they actually talked to my parents and, and told them to keep me away from him. Um, I, I was bad association. They said, you know, we have plans for him and, and Ida's not involved in that because, you know, they knew that we, as we got older, you know, around like 15, 16, um, you know, we, we had crushes on each other, of course, um, and his parents were terrified of that. And so I was, I was a temptation to them and, and they spread that around. And so nobody wanted their son to, to be around Ida. Um, mm. I have a really good friend that was in the congregation at the time and fortunately he's woken up as well um and we we talk all the time but we were we were on the phone not too long ago and he was saying that um you know I, I was bringing that up about like how nobody wanted their son to be around me and he was like yeah he goes um because his mom was very cool and we we were able to spend time together he goes my mom was always wondering why all the other moms hated you so much <laughs> it was it was confusing for her because she's just such a nice person and, and I loved her and she was always so sweet to me and that always stood out but she never understood why everybody hated me so much and they they didn't want me to spend time with their child um and this was all you know before I was even 17 yeah. um you know all, all of these things it's like I still believed that it was the truth I still believed that but it was like these things kept happening and in hindsight, you know, they were signs that it's not the truth, but in, in the moment they just bothered me, you know, it was like, you know, that sucks or that, that person must not be having a good day. And I, I gosh, I dished out all the slack in the world back then. I mean, I, I cut so much slack for people. And I was just like, okay, were well, they having a bad day or maybe they had a bad experience or whatever. I don't want to stumble people. Um, I should go home and, and, you know, I, I should wear a sweater in, in May <laughs> in the hot blistering uh, uh, Southern Georgia sun. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I would see elders, families and, you know, pioneers getting special treatment. Um, I only pioneered for gosh, le it was less than a year. Um, the, the hours were just way too much for me. I did, I did not enjoy spending time in service. Um, I remember I, I had a, a group of friends for a very short period of time that, you know, we would, meet at like six o'clock in the morning and we would do some like gas station witnessing we, which is basically just like 
you know, we were teenagers and I'm sure it was weird to have a teenager walk up to you while you're pumping gas and hand you a, a religious pamphlet, but it was quick. We didn't have to talk to people. If they threw it away immediately after, we didn't care. Um, but we would meet for the uh, meeting for field service at nine and then we just go and do whatever afterward. We'd, we'd count the time and those were good times, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, it, it's that fake preaching and, um, I felt bad for it for sure, but it was, you know, I was having fun and you you almost feel guilty for enjoying yourself sometimes. But mm. I mean, I remember one time we met for for service and like I said I I had a group of friends and for the most part those were guys um we were getting older you know 16 17 um and you know we had our cars and stuff so we all met for service one morning and it was me and just three other of my guy friends um so we we had our little meeting for field service and we're like all right we'll go to this territory and about halfway to the territory um my friend that I grew up with got a call from his dad and his dad just started interrogating them I guess he had seen my car at the kingdom hall and he kept pressing his eat of theirs eat of theirs eat of there and once he finally got it out of him um he told them to turn the car around immediately and drop me back off at the kingdom hall that it was inappropriate for me to be there um and you know if if I can't find somebody to go out with then I can just write letters at home that's so weird Oh my gosh, that was that was situation normal, Jonah. I've, that was I've, all I've, the time. I've never even heard of it. I've, <laughs> I've heard of it being like frowned upon for like a a guy and a girl to be spending time together unchaperoned. Mm-hmm. I've I've heard that, of course. But the idea of a um like like it's such a naive <clears throat> viewpoint. Like oh, the, a girl in a car full of guys. So well, what yeah. if it's a car full of guys and they're all gay? Like they don't right. think about that, but it's it's almost like <laughs> so far off their radar. You could be you could have yeah. been the only thing stopping a a big homosexual activity there, <laughs> and they put their sons in danger by not letting them spend time around you. It's ridiculous. It's just a big cock block for the car. Yeah. Exactly. No, but I, I was the one that was in the wrong and, and I should have known better. And I should have made plans with the sister is what he told me. Um, instead of just showing up to the kingdom hall and expecting one to be there. Um, no, that was all the time, mainly because I was homeschooling at the time. And so were they. So <clears throat> this was during what would be normal school hours for everybody else. So everybody else was in school and we were the only ones, you know, it was, everybody was at work that was older and so that happened plenty of times and and after that if I showed up and it was just the the three or four of my guy friends that were there I would have to go home and I just I wouldn't get any hours for that day that's mad but but there is quite (laughs) a uh a woman blaming or a victim blaming kind of culture oh of course in of course. the organization for sure I, I'm I'm the temptation I'm the I know I'm, I'm the Jezebel um absolutely and <clears throat> I mean those those experiences that I had in those situations I mean they they always kind of led me to sort of question like well why like there's no scriptures that say this like why is this a rule why do I have to go home and it would just inevitably it would just inevitably lead to me feeling like I was just weak in the faith okay well my my faith isn't strong enough or I'm not a a good enough witness to understand why this is wrong um and you know as I got older 
I just, I felt like my faith was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, you know, now I just see that it was just the, the process of waking up, um, which is, is it's what, you know, we all, or, you know, I would hope we all go through, but, um, that's just what it was. Um, I, I hated going to meetings. Um, I would always get so anxious. Um, I remember I was dating this one brother for, uh, too damn long, (laughs) but, um, at a certain point we started sitting together at the meetings and because it wasn't progressing, I mean, there, there was a natural progression. That's always like, you know, okay, you're dating for six months. Okay. You got to get married now. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you know, it's, it, you know, abstinence and, and, you know, the longer you, you date for the more than temptation and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, once it got to a certain amount of time that we had been sitting together and it, it wasn't progressing and it wouldn't have, you know, in hindsight, just, just knowing, knowing what I know now, he just, he wasn't ready for anything, but he was directed to stop sitting next to me. Um, They said it, it it gave the wrong impression. It it was showing people that we were just casually dating um, instead of dating with a view to marriage, (laughs) which is another phrase that I hate. Mm. um you know instead of you know you want to be dating with a view to marriage and and you know it's not to say that he was a bad guy but they they just came down on on both of us so hard I remember they they had um, a meeting with me after a meeting one time and they were questioning me about everything and they're like well why hasn't this happened and why hasn't this happened and and why are you two you know blah 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 and and you you're sitting together and you're not doing and I remember thinking, why is he not here? <laughs> why am I the one being questioned right now? Like, I can't, <laughs> I, I remember just feeling so defeated and, and they're bringing up scriptures and just, oh, well, he, you know, he, does he truly love you with X, Y, Z? And, you know, I'm just, I'm just a kid <laughs> in hindsight. And, you know, normally you hear stories about how they won't talk to the woman because you know the 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 male is the head or whatever but I guess because we weren't married they felt absolutely fine just interrogating me for an hour about everything and like well have you done this and and you know do you need to tell us anything you know Jehovah brings everything to light and and I just remember thinking like why and they I I asked him they never brought him back for any of that um Mm. and I just like I said I just remember thinking like why is he not here um so after we were told that and we couldn't sit together anymore and I didn't care um you know I at a certain point I I was I was done and um it had run its course like I said way too long and I just I hated the meetings I felt so judged everywhere I went it was clicky um I the way that I kind of got away from that was I told everybody that, well, not everybody, I told my parents that I wanted to go to a different congregation. And I had always gone to my parents' congregation, obviously, ever since I was a kid. But, you know, here I am in my early 20s and um, I'm still doing that. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to start looking for a different congregation. So if you don't see me on a Sunday or you know Thursday or whatever, um, this is why, you know, I'll probably be visiting. And I just, I, I just, I stopped going. Um, I remember the very first one that I skipped, I was sitting on my couch in my apartment and, you know, the meeting starts at 730 and 730 rolls around and then it's 731 and 
I was just, I was so relieved. Just the, the relief that washed over me that I was like, I don't have to sit there for two hours and I don't, I don't have to be miserable. I don't have to look at all the people around me that have been, you know, so cruel to me for, for years. And, you know, and of course it wasn't everybody. I obviously had, you know, people there that, that cared about me. Um, but I, it still, it was never a pleasurable experience, um, as an adult. And, you know, I, nobody asked me because I, I had told them that I was visiting other congregations. So nobody asked like, Hey, where are you? You know? Mm. Um, and I just, I, it, it was such a good experience. I just, I never looked back. I was like, okay, this, there's a reason why I'm so relieved right now. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's a reason why I am really happy right now. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to go back. Yeah. So that, that relief then must have opened the door for you to start like looking into other things or, or at least making the room where if your time and if your head isn't constantly filled with the know the ministry and the studying for the meetings and attending the meetings and and all of the social drama that comes with it um nature hates a vacuum i always say so (laughs) it makes room for something else to to go in there and and you get to actually uh reclaim your mind more oh yeah absolutely i mean the the exhaustion the absolute exhaustion of the grinding routine keeps you complacent. I mean, it's from Sunday to Saturday, you have, you know, studying for the watchtower, you have the the watchtower and you have the public talk and then you have service after that. And then they expect you to go in service as much as you possibly can during the week, along with family worship, along with the meeting during the, and it's just, it's constant, constant, constant. And, you know, I, I read somewhere that when, when we're made to feel inferior and lesser, you know, undeserved kindness and all that, when we're made to feel so inferior, the natural conclusion is that the ones that lay out the routine for us are just better than us, that they know better. Mm. So why would we ever examine them in a critical light? Yeah. And that just, that really hit home for me because the exhaustion is real. And I, I saw it in myself. Um, I mean, you, you come home from, a you know, eight hour day in service and you just crash on the bed and then you're expected to wash up and, and get changed and go right back to the meeting that night or that afternoon. And the, the exhaustion, the exhaustion really gets to you. And it just, it, it keeps you in a constant state of just the, you know, almost, almost like a fog. And when I stopped going, it's like that was lifted and I had so much free time and I was like, wow look at all these things I can do. Look at this amazing sunset at 7.30 in the evening. And I can take a walk and look at that. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, look at all I've been missing. So I'm, I'm curious because it sounds like we had a similar um, viewpoint with a lot of it. And in terms of like, okay, it's the truth. This is a true religion, but the mm-hmm. humans in it are flawed and they're not doing it right. But that, yeah. that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be uh, that, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't believe it or follow the teachings, but it's just that the that the <laughs> human side of it is executing it poorly. So, so that's where I was for a long time. Um, if that's where you were, what led to the shift from thinking this is God's organization, but it's just filled with d bags, um, <laughs> as opposed to then realizing actually no the, the whole thing is is just not what it's advertising itself as being 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too long after I stopped going to meetings that, I mean, I was just, you know, bored out of my mind one day and just, you know, <clears throat> scrolling on, you know, Reddit or somewhere. Um, and it, it was like a, a question, like a forum or whatever. And it was like, what organization or company has like dark backgrounds or something? And it was like, okay, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and like, you're learning all this stuff. And um, I remember I, I told you about this experience um, that I had, but I, you know, I was just randomly scrolling through there and I, and I saw Jehovah's Witnesses and there was an explanation underneath it. But as soon as I saw the word Jehovah, I like my, my thumb just, I swiped up and it, it moved it off of my screen and, and it, you know, it was like scrolling, scrolling. And I remember thinking, why did I just do that? Mm. It was almost involuntarily. Like I, I, I saw the word, you know, I saw Jehovah's Witnesses and I swiped up and I didn't, I didn't want it on my screen. I was like, oh my God, like it was an out of body experience for sure. Mm. Um, but I, I, I had to question myself. I was like, why did I just do that? And I, I couldn't give an answer. <clears throat> so I made my way back up the, the forum to where I was. And, and I just, I made myself read it. I was like, you know, what's, what's it going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's a win-win situation. I mean, if, if I read something it's, and it's false, like it's obviously going to be false and I'm going to know it. And like, I'll still know it's the truth. My faith will be strengthened, yada, yada. And mm -hmm. if it's true and there's something wrong, then maybe I should know that. Like, maybe I should be aware of that. And so I scrolled back up and I read it and it was, um, it was calling out Jehovah's Witnesses for their ill treatment of um, survivors of abuse, of sexual abuse. And someone had posted a link to the shepherding book, which um, if your listeners don't know, it's the secret elders book that uh, only elders get. And it basically brings up every possible scenario, at least to them, um, that could happen to a Jehovah's Witness or um, any situation. And it, it tells the elders exactly what to do. And gosh, I probably found it around 11 p.m. one evening and I read it all the way through. Mm. And just seeing the response for certain situations like sex abuse or adultery and, you know, not being permitted to, I mean, it's these scenarios that were brought up and, and I'm just reading and it all seems, you know, almost hypocritical. I mean, you know, there's the scriptures that talk about, I think it was the Pharisees that had like a rule for everything. And, and it was like, oh, you know, you have a rule for this and you have guidelines for this or whatever. It's like, oh, well, we, you know, you're just supposed to love each other and you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And, and here I am mm -hmm. seeing the, the hypocritical side of it where Jehovah's Witnesses have literally laid out a rule and a response for everything. And I mean, it's talking about, you know, survivors of suicide or not, uh, you know, survivors of a suicide attempt and, and, you know, oh, well, you know, it, it's not directing them to get help or to help them or anything like that. And, and nowhere does it mention, I mean, and it's, it's even talking about murder in this book. Um, nowhere is it mentioning the legal authorities you know, bringing stuff like this to the police and just reading it through. I, like I said, I read it all in one shot and I immediately knew like, this is man-made. This is not scriptural. 
these men do not have any sort of divine inspiration. Um, you know, they're not consulting the Bible. I mean, here's the thing. When, when you bring a situation to the elders, you feel like they're going to bring scriptures to you and, you know, consult the scriptures and then help you based on that. But the reality is they just look at this book. It's like, okay, this person did this. What do we tell them to do? Mm. It, it was, it was so manufactured and, and, and man-made. And, you know, that brought me to that one article where it talks about the governing body, not uh, being neither inspired nor infallible. And it's like, okay, well, if this, if this is a book from our governing body and they're not inspired, they just made all these rules up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's all it is. And it was, it was almost like a light switch. I mean, these people are told exactly what to do down to the letter by a group of men in New York that have chosen themselves and are not inspired. And I was like, this, it, it's not real. It's not, it was, the glass was shattered and I, the illusion was, was broken and I couldn't look back. Yeah, it must have been incredibly eye-opening having, if, if I'm understanding, remembering right. So <laughs> by that point, you'd, you'd already had experiences of being on the receiving end of, of elders and some of their ways of dealing with various situations. And then, mm -hmm. so having been on the receiving end and then kind of peeking behind the Wizard of Oz's curtain seeing, oh, actually, yep. it's, it's in, and in a control room. Exactly. And being in those situations where I'd been on the receiving end of a judicial committee or a brother just pulling me in the back to counsel me about, you know, my skirt being too tight or, you know, showing too much shoulder. <laughs> I mean, Why is it uh, shoulders? Is that a like shoulders is, are sexy? What are you talking about? Is, is that your part of America thing? maybe <laughs> maybe I don't know maybe 15 year old girl shoulders are just way more sexy in this part of the world but um you know it was funny growing up my dad was always like you know it's it's not about what it is it's about what it looks like so if I were to run into the back room real quick with a brother to get some literature and we were picking out something for you know whatever if we were to run back there real quick it, we're just grabbing books that's what it is but what it looks like is something different and that was always something that that he would bring up um it's fine and, you to know, be in the back room with a bunch of older men that's fine <laughs> oh of course of course yeah absolutely that that's fine lock the door hell like <laughs> that's fine but you know it's it's about what it looks like um so that that was always something that was like kind of put in put in my head and and you know it I mean, he didn't mean it this way but I always I always felt a huge sense of responsibility when something looked wrong and it came back on me I always felt so guilty for it I was like this is my fault yeah when literally nothing happened yep yep mad but it's it's put on me to to prove that nothing happened not on whoever else to prove that something did and that's just the way that it is mm. i mean that that's even in the shepherding book if if um two if a, if a brother and sister like if they have to like spend the night that's an actual scenario in there if like one has to spend the night at the other's place and they're alone they have to prove that nothing happened how do you even do that I don't know. 
I don't know. I've never been in that in that situation, but I, I can imagine the absolute despair that comes along with it. If, you know, it, it even mentioned like, oh, like due to like bad weather or something like that, if, you know, they wanted to let's say they live next door and they like come over <clears throat> um, just to have like company during bad weather or something like that. If that got out, that they stayed the night in the same house, um, they would have to prove that nothing happened. And that's just like, what? Like, what sense does this make? Mm. Yeah. Bizarre and, and yes. pharisaic <laughs> to, to say the least. And, exactly. And, and so in making, so you, you find the article, you begin to do your research, you read the book and it's like, thing, <clears> light bulb yep. off, there's, there's no turning back now. Um, yeah in terms of your own transition out of it because there's so there's stopping believing the religious beliefs there's extracting yourself kind of uh, socially whether that's from family and friends and things like that and then there's mm -hmm. the dealing with the uh, mental and emotional ripple effects that can carry forward um what were some of the challenges that you faced around either leaving or around the the aftermath of leaving well, you know, like I said, as far as friendships, I, I never really had real ones. So that was, you know, not, not tough at all. Sure. Um, but the, one of the biggest challenges was the fact that my parents are still in the organization. And, you know, my, my process of fading happened really quickly. Like I just, I, I took in as much information as I possibly could. I was reading, you know, about how 1914 is made up. Jerusalem did not fall in 607 BCE, which completely dissolves the whole basis of the teachings, you know, how Jehovah's Witnesses were chosen by, G I mean, it's, it, that completely dissolves it. So I, I mean, I just took in so much information and learned, <clears throat> you know, scientific facts that broke the illusion. Um, and that, that process happened so quickly. And the only way that I was able to wake up so quickly was because I had told them that I was going to another congregation. So this, it, it completely freed up any suspicion. You know, like I said, when I didn't attend meetings, nobody was like, hey, you know, where are you at? Um, and, you know, if my parents ever reached out to me, like, you know, how was the meeting or, you know, whatever I would, you know, I hate to admit it, but I, I would just lie. And I said, oh, it was good. And, you know, I, I said, I commented this or so-and-so commented that, you know, I would, I would just lie. And, it became easy, um, but it, I, I didn't. I didn't like it. It. it I don't like lying to my parents. Um, it's just, I, I just don't. My parents are really cool, and they, you know, we've we've been through some stuff, and and I always felt like I could talk to them. Um, so it got to the point where I was just really tired of that. And so earlier last year, <clears throat> around I think it was gosh, February? No, no, it was probably March or April. Um, I wrote a letter to them and it was basically just saying how I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and, you know, I hadn't been going to meetings for a long time, so they had no idea. Um, but officially last, you know, March or April was when I at least told them. Um, but, you know, I, I, I basically put in the letter, you know, how with my history of depression and suicide attempts, I just, the way I worded it was that I couldn't see me surviving inside of the organization. 
Mm. Uh, I definitely labeled it as more of a break to kind of ease the hit of saying like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Rather than just saying I'm completely done because I was, but you know, I didn't know if they were going to bring that letter to the elders. Like I didn't know what they were going to do. I I was really in the dark. Um, But I, I I put it in their mailbox and I, I didn't, I didn't say anything. I just put it in a mailbox and drove away. And couple days later I think my dad reached out and he was like hey you know we still love you we're just taking time to process um they wanted to meet with me um my stomach is in knots just thinking about that day that was (laughs) I I was terrified I didn't know what was going to happen like I said I mean my parents are very cool and and understanding people but I was still I was very much in the dark about what was going to happen um but once once we spoke in person I at least tried to, but I, I, I made it clear that I, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying. Um, it, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I mean, I, I was baptized. Um, yeah, I still technically am. So, <clears throat> you know, I was baptized. I had no intention of speaking to the elders. So that way they could disfellowship me. I mean, I, <laughs> I had already read the whole book. Like I knew what they were going to do like it's there's no divine inspiration there it's like oh Ida said this let me flip to page 47 and find out what to do um I mean doctrinally they had no reason to shun me my parents um I I just told them that I wanted to break it to any if anything I would just be inactive to them but I was open to them about you know who I was dating and you know, telling them that I didn't want to return back to the organization. Um, so I, I tried to be as open and, and honest as I possibly could with them. They didn't know exactly what I was doing because I didn't, you know, quote unquote, confess to anything. Um, but still they knew I didn't want to come back. So I really, I didn't know how they were going to take it. And it, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, fortunately, we still have a relationship. Um, it's almost like they, it's almost like they pretend to not know, which I'm sure they do. Um, I'm sure it, it hurts them, but you know, they, they've met my boyfriend and they, they love him and you know, he's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, you, I, I've told you about him. I, I could talk for hours about how amazing he is, but um, you know, it's, th- things are pretty, pretty okay with them now. Um, it, it was rough there in the beginning, um, especially with having to kind of level with them and they don't like, or I can't imagine they do, but I'm sure they don't like remembering kind of, you know, when things were dark for me and, um, you know, trying to off myself and mm. I mean, th- things were bad there for a while. So I'm sure it was tough. Yeah. And it's, it's the uncertainty of how people are going to respond often. That's yeah the most difficult part. Sometimes like, when you're in the situation, I've, I've had, quite a lot of judicial meetings um mm-hmm. from between being dissociates and then trying to get back it's the, the meeting themselves they suck but it's, yeah. it's the days or hours leading up to it where it's like oh my god how is this gonna go and yes. i think that's what drives us to the um you know into the darker places sometimes it's it's that feel, feeling like all the power is outside of us and like we're just yeah. kind of waiting for something bad to happen 
Yeah. And it, and it's funny when, when you don't know where that direction's coming from, you just feel like there's this dark cloud over you. Like, oh, I've made, I've made Jehovah sad and, and he's going to punish me and the elders are going to pray about it. And they're going to figure out what to do when, re- when in reality, like I said, they're just flipping to a page and, and figuring out what to do, but you just really feel so helpless in the grand scheme of things. Mm. And so what, I mean, after a life of living that way for, you know, like 20 years or so, and that's a lot of conditioning that that creates a lot of challenges. And, you know, you've mentioned a few, but I know because I've spoken to you, you're in a good place now. So what's tipped the balance and empowered you to kind of not just make the break, but to kind of build yourself up and to feel empowered and to move on with your life in a, in a healthy and a happy way. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, just honesty hour. I mean, at at first it was, it it was the depression that, that lifted. I mean, I, like I said, I, I had been so outcast, um, growing up, I'd been misunderstood, um, unappreciated if I wasn't pioneering and like, I just, I, I didn't matter to the people around me if I wasn't doing something, um, you know, and these were the only people that I was allowed to associate with. Um, but you know, I doing, doing research is the main thing that, that helped with that. I mean, I'm a firm believer that there are two types of people that leave the organization. There's the ones that leave and they kind of do their own thing for a while. And then the guilt gets to them and then they come back. And then the other person leaves, they do their own thing, but then they do research. You have to understand and show yourself. It's not even proving to yourself. You have to show yourself and, and, and take that courage and take that step to do the actual research and find out that this, this is not a, a, a spiritual organization. It's not, it, it's run by man. It's man-made. Um, it is extremely flawed but it has no divine inspiration whatsoever and only through research can you prove that to yourself um i remember i came upon the australian royal commission trials and i watched jeffrey jackson a governing body member lie over and over and over on the stand and you know, I, I, he would answer a question and I would write down his answer to the question. And then I would do my own research and look in our own literature and it just, it wouldn't match up. And I was like, like, why is he lying? Like this, it, it, it completely shattered that illusion for me of thinking that like these people are, are, you know, oh, they have, they have Jehovah's approval and, you know, they're so divine and inspired and whatever. And like I said, I, I found that article about how they're neither inspired nor infallible. And it just, it all made sense. I mean, this is just a guy on a stand lying. I mean, he has no, he has every reason to because he, he's trying to protect what he has. And it just, it, it completely shattered it for me. I mean, the, these people don't have any inspiration whatsoever. Um, and it just, it, it all came together. And I, I felt lied to, I felt cheated. I was upset. I was angry and hurt. And eventually that hurt turned to empowerment 
And I was almost angry at myself. And I was like, you got to do something. And I just resolved. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to let myself down again. I'm never going to be lied to again. Um, I'm sure it'll happen, but I'm going to do the necessary research with whatever it is to make sure that this doesn't happen again, because I, I wasted enough time and moving forward, I was going to make sure that I'm as free as possible. Yeah. And, and that's that moment of decision that can yeah. make, just change the trajectory of our lives entirely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, gosh, that trial, there's hours and hours of testimony. And um, I know we've talked about this in the past, but I mean, a big part of that trial was the calling into question the two witness rule mm. and myself being a victim of the two witness rule and hearing these men try to defend it, try to, and completely fail. Um, these men have all of the, at least, you know, JW scripture knowledge in the world. Um, they're coming from the branch. They're coming from, um, you know, high positions of, of power in the organization. And they can't convincingly defend the rule that nearly took my life. Mm. And it just, it, it, it completely crushed me. Th those trials were so damning for me. Yeah. That's, um, you know, talk about an emperor's new clothes kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so in terms of coming to terms with that, making that decision, turning the hurt into empowerment, that's, I mean, that's a lot of hurt by the sounds, to, to be on the receiving end of, you know, the two witness rule and all the fallout that that, that creates, that's you know, that's a lot of hurt to, to have to transmute, if you like, into something greater. So, so how, how did that go for you? Did, or were you already kind of over it by that point? Or was, was that the thing that made you go, actually, do you know what, I can, I can put this behind me? Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely more so I, I can put this behind me. I mean, I'm a very forward moving person now. I'm, I'm a strong believer in, it doesn't matter how slow you go, as long as it's forward. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had to turn that um, into something healthy. I had a lot of personal growth to do. I mean, when, when you leave, you realize just how little you know about the world and how it works and about you and how you work. So I had to learn, you know, healthy coping mechanisms. Um, I mean, the, the whole victim mentality is, is so strong in the organization. I mean, um, persecution <laughs> I mean any any type of criticism is, is seen as persecution um, and you know if you're being persecuted then you're doing the right thing so it, it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and you know having to get out of that victim mentality and learn to not indulge in it was absolutely key to getting out yeah absolutely and and are there any other kind of uh, uh, lessons or, or realizations you've had on that in that process of building up life on the outside um so once you once you put the organization behind you that's that's a big step but that's also mm -hmm. kind of like the starting line it's like right yeah. I've, just, I've just begun the race now um oh yeah <laughs> so, so what have you learned along the way up to this point 
well, um, it's, it's certainly a challenge, um, you know, especially for someone like me and, um, you know, I'm not afraid to say millions of others who were pushed away from higher education. Um, I remember taking such a firm stance against like not going to college because, you know, they, they tell you that pursuing higher education, like, you know, they tell you all these horror stories about people that lost their faith and got, you know, roped into drugs and, and prostitution and, and they, they really make it seem like a, a bad thing. And I remember being so proud, um, to not want to go while knowing just deep down that I was just afraid that Armageddon would come and I'm, I was going to die at like school or something. I mean, it, it, it was such a morbid thought, I, you know, if, if Armageddon can come any second, I don't want to be in class, you know, that would be, that wouldn't be a good look. Um, I was just afraid of, of, uh, of that, but I mean, at the same time, I'm, I'm not a, entirely an, an advocate of higher education. Um, both my boyfriend and I, you know, we never went to college and he's doing really well for himself. I've climbed up to an awesome company with fantastic opportunities. So, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like it's impossible because, um, I've done it and many others have done it, but I know plenty of people that after leaving the organization have, you know, wanted more for themselves and, um, have had very rewarding and fulfilling lives after going to college. So, you know, even if they started later than, you know, what's conventional, I mean, I know somebody that started in their forties, so people skills go a long way. Um, as far as kind of learning how to navigate outside of that. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I, where I was honestly, without my ability to talk to people, um, you know, even in, in work and in personal matters. And, you know, that's always been a strong point for me. Um, but making friends as an adult is hard. <laughs> it's, it's a learning curve, yeah. but um, baby steps is what I'm learning for sure. Yeah. And so kind of tying that in as well to what advice you might give to someone who's maybe in those early phases of either either extracting themselves and leaving or they've left and now they're recovering from their time in the organization um yeah just baby steps the the absolute tiniest little inch forward is all it takes um, you know, like, like I'd mentioned earlier, going for a walk when you would have been at the meeting or, you know, waking up early on a Sunday and having some coffee and, and reading a book and not having to stop at a certain point to get ready for the meeting or study for the watchtower. Um, you know, we're, we're taught that life outside of the organization is just so unfulfilling it's a sham you're going to be lost and you know even if things go well for a short while it'll inevitably fail and you're gonna you're gonna see the error of your ways and it's you know that that even even now especially right after I first left and I was doing so well and I didn't know why it was like oh is this the uh is this the high before the fall like you know when's it gonna happen but I mean, the, the reality is it's completely the opposite. I mean, the world and the people in it are beautiful. And of course there's going to be, you know, bad situations and bad people, but those people are everywhere. They're inside the organization and outside the organization. 
Um, but you, you have uh, such an appreciation for the world and the people in it when you don't see it as just doomed inevitably and, and just ready to blow up at any second. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a relief to realize that. Yes, definitely. I mean, I I say all the time, you know, if, even if it's something stupid, you know, somebody, (laughs) they post a a funny meme or something like that. I'll say people are so creative and I love it because people really are so creative, Mm. even if it's just, you know, a dumb joke or something. And it, and it makes me laugh. Like they really are. And people are really enjoying themselves out here. And I, I hate that I missed it for so long, but I'm just, I'm glad I'm a part of it now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I have a friend who uses the expression, if you dip your glasses in crap, even the roses will look brown. And yeah. when you take them off and you can actually see things, see things for as they are, the good, the bad and the ugly. And it, yeah. it adds that richness to life rather than this, the kind of dingy, dreary. Black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, I, I remember my, um, not too long ago, my dad found out that I had watched the, um, uh, I can't even think right now, the convention. <laughs> he had found out that I had watched part of the convention and um, he was like, uh, you know, if you, if you only watch it looking for something bad, you're going to, you're going to find bad, you're going to find negativity. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm thinking on the flip side, if you only watch it looking for good, then you're only going to find good. <laughs> like, it's, I, I can apply that same mentality to how, you know, I used to watch the convention. I mean, I wasn't looking for anything wrong, but, um, you know, when I am, I, I, I see the hypocrisy now and I see how they're making people feel lesser. And, you know, it's like, oh, bring more people in and, and, you know, undeserved kindness and, and all this stuff. And, um, you know, there, I'm sure there are parts of it that are good. I mean, you know, like you said, there are definitely scriptures in the Bible that can be applied today. I mean, it, even if it is just a book, like, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated and, and you know, the, the rafter out of your eye thing. I mean, there are definitely things that can be applied, but when they're used to, to keep people complacent and unhappy, um, like I said, the, the illusion shattered and now I can, I can see it all for what it is now. Um, good, bad, and the ugly, just like you said. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned about, uh, obviously, big emphasis on, on doing research and how yes how they blur that line between God and spirituality and obedience to the organization. Oh, yes. And I mean, I, people do not give enough weight to the powers of indoctrination. Um, I mean, you hear that word and you think it's just, you know... Um, sitting in a in a room and, and repeating the same thing over again which in in reality you are repeating the same thing over and over again um but they they word it so eloquently that you don't know that until you leave um and research like real research and critical thinking it reveals that very clear line between god and the organization when the organization, like you mentioned, they they just do all they absolutely can to blur that line. You know, come back to the organization turns into come back to Jehovah. Nobody ever says come back to the organization. They say, come back to Jehovah. Jehovah wants you back. Um, Return to Jehovah. And this, you know, this teaching is one of the most dangerous ways that they indoctrinated us by convincing us that 
that organization and God are one and the same. Um, you know, that, that article where they mentioned that they aren't inspired by God, like I said, it completely shattered the illusion for me, but here's the thing. That article came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was sitting at a kingdom hall reading that and it went over all of our heads, all of ours. Yeah. And what they're essentially saying is, Hey, we don't have divine inspiration, so we're going to be wrong, but trust us that what we say right now is the truth. Oh, but if we change it, you have to trust that that is now the truth. Oh, and if we change that and it's like so on and so on. Um, I mean, God's not directing these people. I mean, they, they've just taken it upon themselves to direct and, and, and mislead all of these people. Um, I read one time, uh, a good illustration of that it's like if you applied for a job and you get the job it's like hey welcome to the job we're glad to have you also don't go look at reviews from past employees they're all lying yeah (laughs) it's like wait wait now i kind of want to want to look and see what they're saying i mean that that's exactly what it is yeah so (laughs) that um that research you know it, it, it's so important. Like I said, that that's the difference between somebody that leaves and goes back and that leaves and, and stays gone. Um, the guilt of indoctrination is so strong. And, you know, I, I would feel guilty for doing the smallest things. I mean, I celebrated my birthday um, and it was just a, a tiny little cake that my boyfriend bought for me from, from Publix with, um, he, put, he put trick candles on there. And it was the absolute sweetest thing. And I, I wouldn't change any second of it for the world. But I remember once we got the candles out, because we had to put them out under the sink because I couldn't blow them out. Um, and even that wasn't working. But once we blew the candles out, um, he stepped away for a minute and I, I teared up because I, underneath all that happiness and, and how happy I was, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm. And it, you know, I, I had been gone for a while, but that was the first birthday that I had celebrated and the first time I'd ever blown out candles on a cake and, you know, I'm, I'm 25 and, um, it was such an amazing experience. Um, he hid the cake from me and he, uh, uh he shut all the blinds and stuff. So it was dark and the candles were so bright and, underneath all of that, I I just felt guilty. And if I, if I hadn't done my research to realize that like the, the basis of not celebrating birthdays is absolutely false. There is no basis. It's just the twisting of scriptures. (laughs) But if I hadn't done that research, that guilt would have just absolutely eaten me alive. And, you know, every birthday you celebrate, every holiday you celebrate, um, it just, it stacks on top of one another and you may have a good time in the meantime, but if you don't do the correct research, it will bring you back. And it, you know, taking baby steps with that. I mean, you have to see every choice you make, every positive choice is a win. Um, you know, like blowing out the birth, you know, birthday candles or, you know, dressing in something that's, you know, kind of revealing. (laughs) I mean, something like that. If I wear something that's cute and I feel good in it, like that's a win for me. Um, wearing high heels, gosh, I, I had a limit on how high my heels could be. Um, and I'm tall. So when I wear high heels, I'm like really tall and, you know, wearing those now it's like that, that's a win. So, you know, 
keeping those those positive wins going and building a support network. Um, I mean, like in movements like what you're doing um, and, you know, your podcast and the way that you're helping people, um, these movements are, are saving lives, quite literally. Um, you know, witnesses leave all the time, all the time. They, they won't admit it, but if you look at the numbers and you actually do research, they leave all the time. And our brains are just, they're not meant to handle the isolation that comes from shunning and disfellowshipping. Um, I know, gosh, of at least three people that have taken their lives because of that pain. Yeah. And the, you know, the way that I speak out about, you know, the two witness rule um, and my experiences in the organization, those people that took their lives so soon, they lived through me. And I want to tell their story and I want to tell my story and whatever support that I can bring to people that leave um, because they do feel so alone, especially the ones that are disfellowshipped. Um, I will absolutely do that at any, any chance. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, and, and obviously everyone listening is all really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time today and, and sharing the, and just, just hearing that we're not alone and that someone else has been through this and that, that you know, we're not a freak. And, yeah. and then obviously hearing the things you've realized and experienced along the way. And uh, it, it creates that, that knowledge that you're, you're not doing it alone, that it has been done before, that it is possible. Yes. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's one of my biggest intentions with this um with, with this podcast and uh, when i interview former members it's um it's providing that evidence where it's like look other people have done this and you can too and um and like i said we've had uh, several conversations before yeah. now and, and it always stood out to me how um you know you you've built up a happy and just you know a good life on the outside and you've you've developed the in the insights where it's it's enabling you not just to have lifted yourself up but now it's it's kind of opening the doors and um and showing the way that other people can find their own way as well so it's you know really i tell you encouraging is another word that i find a bit triggery but it is very encouraging <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and very oh i understand that <laughs> uh, for people to hear so thank you yeah, of course. I mean, it's, um, you know, like, like I told you when we were talking about um, doing the podcast in the beginning, I mean, one of my, my biggest struggles that I had um, in the organization was, um, you know, with, with, with being a victim of the two witness rule, I always felt like I was the only person that that had happened to. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a room and um, I'm having to confront someone that has assaulted me and I felt guilty because no one else had witnessed it yeah. and I'm watching this person just get you know softball questions and um you know he, he called me a liar to my face mm -hmm. and because there were no witnesses nothing happened to him and I very specifically remember feeling like I was the only person that that had happened to um I was told, and I believe I told you this, um, 
after everything had happened and they told me that they couldn't do anything. Um, they couldn't make any judicial decisions because he didn't confess and because um, there weren't two witnesses and that was a rule. Um, a brother reached out to me and he said, he told me to look up a scripture and the scripture basically said in so many words that Jehovah disciplines the ones who he loves. Right. So the way that they applied that to my situation was he was like, well, Ida, if he wasn't disciplined, then that means Jehovah doesn't love him. So it's okay. (laughs) Absolutely mad. And that was supposed to make me feel better. And I just, I, I remember thinking how fake it all seemed. And now, now that I've read the shepherding book and, um, I realized that that's exactly how it's supposed to go. And that's, that's exactly how all their, uh, uh, their doctrines direct them to handle the situation. Um, I know that I'm not alone, but the, the ARC trials and listening to people tell their stories and hearing other victims of the two witness rule, like it was such a relief. Like you said, you just, you, you don't feel alone. I mean, they, they completely, that rule, I mean, they completely misapply a scripture in Matthew where Jesus basically says, like, um, he says, if you, if your brother commits a sin, go and, you know, figure it out between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, awesome. But if he doesn't, you need to take one or more or one or two more witnesses so that, you know, everything can be figured out and the matter can be established. And they misapply that scripture because Jesus, when he says it starts over, it starts with, if your brother commits a sin. Now, there are other translations of the Bible that says, like, if another believer commits a sin. Yeah. Um, And the problem with that rule is that, and and Jehovah's Witnesses pride themselves on this. They pride themselves on, on, you know, younger child baptisms. They frown on infant baptisms, but if an eight or nine-year-old gets baptized, like that's wonderful. So it's really, it's really no different, but that eight or nine-year-old is seen as a brother. I mean, Jesus is clearly talking about adults here. Mm-hmm. And that scripture is applied to a child. And why should a 10 or 11 year old, even 15 or 16 year old, because they're still equally a child, why should that child, why should it be on them to produce witnesses to a crime? Mm. And they, they just, they completely misapply the scripture. And I, I know as me personally, I don't want my child seen as a brother or a fellow believer of my, my young child. I want them seen as a minor. because that that's how it should be and you know Lloyd Evans brings up a fantastic point um that how Jehovah's Witnesses see child abuse child sex abuse as a sin first Mm. and then a crime so if someone you know if if you're a witness and someone broke into your home and they stole a bunch of stuff and then they killed your spouse they just shot him and left and escaped 
if you call the elders, their first questions aren't going to be, well, were there any witnesses? Like, was there anyone else there? Is there anyone who can corroborate your story? Like, no, they're, they're going to ask, like, are the police on their way? Have you reported this? Like someone's died and you, and, and you've been robbed. Yeah. And that's completely different if you were to call the elders and say, my child was sexually abused. They're going to ask about witnesses. They're going to ask who else was there. They're not going to ask if you've gone to the police. And so when you treat something as a sin first and then a crime, that's when that institutionally wrong teaching and doctrine of the two witness rule really does some damage to people. It really, really does. And, and so in, in your experience, basically, the other person was just kind of thrown back into the ponds, like, yeah, you can go yep. do whatever, yep. no consequences. No consequences whatsoever. Um, uh, none that were, I mean, he, he wasn't announced um, as he wasn't even reproved, um, which uh, to your listeners is, is basically a, a soft form of disfellowship thing it's it's basically um you're announcing somebody as somebody that's done something wrong you can still associate with them but they have done something wrong and they're being punished for it so he wasn't even reproved and all I could think about was any of the other younger sisters in his congregation that would be put at risk because their families would not know what this person has done so if they get put in a car group they, they don't know that they're that they're sitting in in a car with an abuser and, and it's it's absolutely disgusting how how swept under the rug things can get and you know he I think gosh maybe a few months later um the elders from this congregation called us and I think I told you this but um they let us know that hey we haven't seen him at a meeting in a while and we're like, okay. <laughs> and they thought that that was supposed to make us feel better, that he hadn't been to a meeting in a while. Mm. That maybe that showed a sign of a guilty conscience of something. And it's, you know, he's not being disciplined at all. Oh, but he hasn't been to a meeting in a while. So we just thought you should know that. And if anything, it, 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 it cut a little deeper than if they hadn't talked to us at all. Yeah. Um, you know, there were plenty of people, I mean, those brothers did not do their due diligence. Um, there were plenty of people and phone numbers and everything that we provided them with where they could have called and had someone corroborate the story. Um, maybe not an exact witness per se, um, to fulfill the two witness rule, but it absolutely could have helped. And, no one was called. They, they didn't even bother. Um, cause you know, with the two witness rule, the, the person that the, that the crime, you know, I say crime, the sin, the person that the crime happens to, they count as a witness. So I counted as a witness. So I only needed one other person to stick up for me and nobody reached out. They did not do their due diligence. Um, he absolutely something could have happened, I believe, if they had. But the way that abuse is handled in the congregation, it's just not, it's not seen as something that takes priority. I mean, it, it, 
at the very least, he should have been reproved. At the very least, if anybody has an accusation against them that serious, they should be reproved. And that at least lets the congregation know, hey, they've done something. It's nothing in particular. I remember back in the day, they used to announce when someone was disfellowshipped why they were disfellowshipped. But now it's kind of left up to the imagination. Like, oh, did this... 11 year old get disfellowship for smoking or for murdering seven people like who knows you know so everything's up to the imagination now but at least it, it sends a message like I said to the congregation this person's done something so beware and the fact that that is not even in the elders book to be done the first thing that they do is call the branch that's the first thing they do it's not contact the authorities it's not notify others in the congregation that something's happened like it's nothing like that it's just to call the branch they get all their direction from the branch and like i said it's just it's institutionally wrong just from the ground up the way that they handle it and we're seeing that now with all of the lawsuits and um trials i mean there there's ICSA, the independent inquiry into child sex abuse um over in I think it's England um but I mean that's we're seeing it now people are realizing that something something's wrong in this organization and needs to be fixed um I don't know if you're familiar with the exact numbers from the uh the ICSA trials but there were 11 organizations that were called into question for the way that they handle child sex abuse. This includes like um, Catholic, uh, Judaism, you know, uh, just other religions and organizations. And out of 11 organizations, Jehovah's Witnesses accounted for 23% of the sex abuse cases. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a lot. It's embarrassing and it should be, but they still, they defend that rule to the to the ends of the earth and and they will go down fighting to defend that rule um so my goal at least to the best of my ability is to go down fighting that rule mm. and to just pick it apart and to show people how dangerous of a rule that is and the damage it can do i mean i i i very well may may not be here or could not be here because of that rule and the damage that it did to me when I was so young and, and still in very formative years. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself to be where I am today because I'm very happy. But I, I never, if you had asked me at 17, if I'd made it to 25, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. If, if you'd said, Ida, are, are you going to make it to 25? And I'll say, not if I could help it. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the damage that that's caused and the, the beautiful souls that we've lost along the way deserve to be heard and like i said anything that i can do to to get the word out and to tell my story and to tell the stories that can't be told anymore i'll do it yeah no amazing and it's 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 a a real example of of how you know when we push through and when we do survive when we when we surprise ourselves and in getting through these things and we look back and it's like man at the time I didn't think I didn't think I'd do it. Yeah. The, the thing I love about that 
realization is that you you bring it forward and so now having come through that and having picked yourself up and and found purpose and found happiness now if like if and when life throws curveballs in the future it's that there's that knowledge in the back of your head that look yeah. even, even things that seem impossible um you can actually get past and overcome and and uh, eventually even stand against and, and move on from and it's like that realization really can carry a person forward oh yeah absolutely and anything I come against it's like you know I've I've got this um I am far from you know there and I, I think when when you're a witness you have this idea of a finish line and the finish line is you know it's paradise it's it's the new world it's past Armageddon um and after that it's like well you know who the heck knows yeah. um I've already told you that you know growing up I, the idea of living forever terrified me because I, I was so unhappy and um the idea of being unhappy forever was just like oh my gosh like <laughs> um I didn't want it but that was the finish line as a Jehovah's Witness and I think one of the most important things that I've learned since leaving um is that there really is no finish line you just you just keep going and you keep bettering yourself and there's always more beautiful things to see and and people to meet and things to do and there there is no finish line you just you keep going and until you're just too tired then you <laughs> and then you go a little bit more I mean it's it, it's it's a beautiful thing to learn that you deserve happiness and you deserve all the good things that are coming to you and you don't need to feel guilty for that so like I said I'm I'm far from you know completely I guess, you know, I, I still feel the guilt sometimes, which, you know, after 20 plus years of indoctrination, I absolutely will. So I try not to hurt myself for that. But, you know, working with a therapist and having a good support network and, you know, talking with people like you and even listening to your podcast, I mean, that that helps immensely. And then just keeping my research up, because the the more that I do that, the the stronger that I'll feel in my decisions and the happier I can be. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Th just thank you again so much for this. This has been of course. great. And so many gems along the way to, um, you know, to take away from this conversation. So, so yeah, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I hope we can, have a chat again in the near future and I'm sure you know, we catch will. up I'm sure I'm sure there are <laughs> new angles that will be explored and yes this, this project's unfolding there are different angles to it um and uh you know as a platform it's really beginning to grow so I look forward to having a chat again in the future yes absolutely I've already um there there's been a lot of good changes a, a couple of um friends that I had a little I guess a little later in life so they were more of truer friends um they've actually woken up as well so that's been oh my gosh so exciting to learn and we've all been talking and they're they were actually familiar with you um and I didn't even I didn't even show them anything so oh, really? yes yeah so I'm uh, I'm really really excited to uh to keep things moving to absolutely chat again and I enjoyed this to no end I really appreciate you having me Jenna I really do my pleasure. Thanks so much, Edith. We'll speak again soon. Sounds good. Thanks.
Bye.